while you're taking your Bibles and turning to John chapter number one, would you join me in prayer? Father, we love you this morning and we're grateful that we can gather in your name, in your midst, and worship you in spirit and truth. Lord, thank you for the health and strength that you blessed us with that measure today. For those gathered on site and online, God, we're grateful. We're grateful for the access that we have. Help us never to take for granted the privilege and the wonderful responsibility that we have to gather and worship, to submit to your word, Lord, to lean in this morning with hearts and minds attuned to who you are, that you are a speaking God and you will speak this morning. Father, our hearts and minds are with some in our number that are not here. Some are recovering from recent injuries. Carl is doing well. We're grateful. We ask your blessing on him. And others are under the weather or have been exposed to folks who are under the weather and out of a heart of protection for others. Lord, they've, they've hung back today. So I pray that you would bless and strengthen them in the waiting and the resting, God. Speak now, Lord. Give us ears to hear in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, I've been looking forward to this day for a long time. Again, I know that the Sunday school classes, our older classes, have gotten a head start on us, and that's okay. That's, that's not a bad thing at all. John's gospel is remarkable. Each gospel writer actually has a distinctive approach to recording the events that they saw happen in front of them, the events that they reported for our benefit, the events that the Holy Spirit would have them write and become scripture. Matthew uh, kind of had this eye to God's kingship. And so when you read Matthew, knowing that he wrote with that eye, you see certain things play out that way. Mark to Jesus's servanthood. Luke to Jesus's manhood. And John seems to write with this emphasis on Jesus's Godhood. The gospel writers then tell their stories nuanced with that approach. Now they're writing scripture, they're recording. These are the holy men of old that the Bible records, uh, recorded scripture for us. What a blessing, what an incredible thing. But through those lenses, that's why you get some gospel accounts that have this instance and the other one doesn't record it. Or two of them report something and one doesn't. Or, or four of them report the same thing and you get different parts of the story. They're not in conflict. There's no problem. It's the way and the angle that the Holy Spirit would have them record what it is that they're seeing. Speaking of John... John is the fisherman, the son of Zebedee, and he's writing this around, uh, somewhere around 86, we believe, is the year, pen in hand. He's recording the things that the Holy Spirit is bringing to his mind. He's writing probably from somewhere in Ephesus, recording these things that we know, knowing from his own eyes and hands. So as we think of John's gospel, we don't typically do this. I know this could be dangerous. It's not open Mike at the Apollo night, so take a breath. But I'm just asking a question. What are some verses that come to mind from John's gospel? 
John 3.16, okay, that one's gone, so I need some other ones, right? But for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So there's John 3.16. You even see that reference at ball games, right? So the world knows that. John 11.35, Ashley's life verse, Jesus wept. That's, uh, no, we have a friend one time in, in, in Christian school, they asked him, what's your life verse? And he would go, John 11.35, and he'd go, I, I can't, that's all I can say. And the teacher would be like, oh, wow, that's, praise God. And she'd make a little note down, then she'd go look it up, and he would get a demerit. But anyway, that's the way that worked. John 11.35, of course. Who else? Give me another verse. 14, John 14.6. That's a pretty powerful one. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father. But, but don't be impressed. Your pat, I get, like, Scripture's what I do. Like, that's, it's okay. Uh, I, I can't do many more, though, okay? John said, oh, that's a good one. Um, there are a lot of scriptures that come to mind. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. The thieves come to steal, kill, and destroy. There are seven I am's. John loves sevens. He'll do seven descriptions of Jesus in the first chapter of John. He'll do seven I am's. He'll do seven cries from the cross. Uh, Flip, what other sevens have you preached out of John? I don't know, but he likes seven. And uh, he really likes tying Jesus to the Godhead and showing that he is fully God, truly God, and truly man. In my last class that I took working on this next, you know, I'm a glutton for punishment, so working on this next round of, of learning, I love staying teachable. When you commit to ministry, you make a commitment to lifelong learning. And so in doing that, in this class, we had to write a final paper. The graduate students did, and the prof said, I can't remember how many times he said it. He said, it better be clear. It needs to be clear. The main idea needs to grab me, and on every page, I need to be able to make a short hop to the main idea. The thesis has to be clear. Well, that's just good writing. You say, yeah, that's great. But when you're writing, trying to come up with 17 pages on like three verses, because that's the assignment, <laughs> it's not always clear. John doesn't struggle with that. John gives us the thesis of the whole book toward the back. Spoiler alert, let's look and figure out what it is. In John 20, I'll put it on the screen for you, verses 30 and 31, John makes the main idea of the whole gospel of John super clear. He says, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, verse 31, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Take a minute and read that verse to yourself, the one that's on the screen. After three years with Jesus, after hearing what John heard and seeing what he saw with his own eyes and touching with his own hands, what's the message that John says is the main thing? You ready? One word, believe. Believe. This Jesus is worthy of all of your hope and trust. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. He, he's not trying to appeal to an American consumer, so he doesn't say, believe in yourself. Did you see that in the text anywhere? No. He didn't say, believe, period, or believe, exclamation point. No. He's not trying to appeal to us, so he doesn't say, believe in yourself. He's not trying to pastor an American church that's culturally relevant and passionate, so he doesn't say, let's believe in faith. Or let's believe in belief, not at all. 
The message, the book, the main thing is the plain thing. John says, believe that Jesus is the Christ. That word means the anointed one, the Messiah, the one that was promised. He is the Son of God, truly God and truly man. And that by believing in his name, you may have life in his name. Believe what? Jesus is the Christ. Believe what? Jesus is the Son of God. Why? That we may have the life that God designed for us to have. Now take that thesis and apply it to John 3.16. See if you can track with it. Ready? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Believe life. Believe in Jesus. Have life. The type of belief that John is calling us to is life-saving belief. This is not a hope so, think so, maybe it'll all work out. This is a, these things were written so that you might know and believe. Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah, he is the promise kept from Genesis 3. Sin and the consequences of sin are just unfolding before our eyes in Genesis 3. And God makes a promise in the process of dealing with sin and says, I'm going to send a seed. I'm going to send a son will come and he will crush the head of the serpent. He will make right all that has been broken by the devil himself. Jesus is the promise keeper of, John, of Genesis chapter number three. In Psalm chapter number two, he is the promised righteous judge that will call every unrighteous ruler to an account. Every king, every president, every prime minister, every single entity that earth has set up as rule that has oppressed humanity, God himself will hold accountable and Jesus sits at the judge's seat. Only those who believe will have a chance to run into the mercy of Christ. He's the promise keeper of the judge that's coming. He's the Messiah. He's the promised one in Isaiah 53, the suffering servant who would come and lay down his life being punished and killed for crimes he didn't commit, willingly to die as the penal substitutionary sacrifice for your sins and for mine, the worst of us laid on him so that the best of him could be laid on us. Believe on Jesus. He's the Messiah. God knew what he was doing when he sent Jesus to the world. He is heaven's answer to the question, what must I do to be saved? He is the word from heaven and he has something to say. That's the whole overarching theme of John. Keep that in mind. Here's my prayer. That as we study John week after week, we'll study it eight to 12 weeks and then we'll take a little break and study something else. Then we'll come back and pick up where we left off and go with that. We're gonna take our time through the book of John. As we do that, I pray that each sermon, every Sunday, Christ gets bigger and bigger and bigger for you and you see more fully as the Christ, the anointed one, the son of the living God. So this morning, we look at John chapter number one, verses one through five. Now that doesn't even count as a sermon intro, okay? So don't count that against me. That's the series intro. Now, I'm just kidding, it all works together. John one, one through five. A lot of titles you could ascribe to this. 
I felt like a ti- uh, the title of uh, prologue, that didn't really have a ring to it. Um, there are some other great titles, but John really here is introducing Jesus. All of the gospel writers do that. Matthew, of course, starts with a genealogy. Uh, Luke starts in a different place. Mark starts with the works of Jesus. John starts within the beginning. And so I want to give you a few things to note as we work through these first five verses. A few notes to take down. The first note, I'd have you write, point number one in verses one and two, he was there. He was there. Introducing Jesus, he was there. Where was he? He was in the beginning. Look back at your Bible text in verse number one. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Now, it's not just that he was at the beginning, he was before the beginning. The word used for a beginning here is a hard point in time. The word is archi. It's a hard, fixed point in time. It's the same word that Mark uses to describe the beginning of the ministry of Jesus Christ. But doesn't it sound like Genesis 1, in the beginning? When you hear in the beginning, if a pastor gets up and says, in the beginning, and takes a breath, Well, now you don't know where he's going. Is he going to John? Is he going to Genesis? We did both this morning. It's like I planned that, right? But in the beginning, before time began, Jesus was there. In the beginning, God created. Not only was the creator there before creation, before time began, God was there and he had something to say. So he was there before time began. The second little sub-point I'd put up would be he was there with a word. And not just a word, but the word. In the beginning was the, say it, word. The word. The word there is logos. It's a published word, a sent word. It's the thing you send to say something about yourself. It's like God published his bio and his name was Jesus. Words are powerful. Words have weight. I'd like to meet the person that penned the famous poem. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That person never went to middle school. (laughs) I guarantee you that. Or never grew up with siblings, right? Uh, That's just not real life. Words have weight. Words can wound and words can heal. But I want to tell you something about the word of God. Hear me, church. God has never ever, ever said the wrong thing. Can you process that for a moment? Can you think back like on 2022 of some times you spoke before you thought? Anybody in the room? Nobody. No show of hands, please. Uh, Can you think back maybe on this week when this got ahead of this a little bit or this got ahead of this a little bit? Have you ever said the wrong thing? God hasn't. You can't relate to God in that way. He has never said the wrong thing. The passages that you come to in the Bible that you struggle to understand, it's not wrong. God didn't struggle to say it. You may be struggling to understand it, but God didn't struggle to say it. God has never said the wrong thing, so I would tell you, get in the Word. God has always had the right thing to say, watch this, at the right time. He always says what's right, and He says it at the right time. President Ronald Reagan was notable for his incredible speeches. I mean, we've had some great orders in the last hundred years. Reagan was one of them. In fact, uh, 
I don't remember if it was just Josiah or Josiah and Chase and I were in the car coming into the office and listening to the world and everything in it. And they played a snip uh, from a Reagan speech and he was calling America, America to be concerned for this other nation that was in peril. I believe it was Poland. And it was a powerful speech. And, and I was watching, I think it was JT, was it you? Yeah, up in the front seat, just like hearing something he had never really, I don't think, heard in his lifetime. A president say something worth listening to. Anyway, moving on. So he was, it was quite an anomaly, right? It, we, were, we were intrigued by it and, and that. And, and it was a peculiar sound. If you study history and study Winston Churchill, he rallied the British Commonwealth and the government with so many great speeches. And one notable one that you probably know the last line to, he says, let us therefore embrace uh, our, or brace ourselves for our duties. And so bear ourselves that if the British Empire and its commonwealth last for a thousand years, men will say, this was their finest hour. These are powerful words, but these are men's words that actually won't stand the test of time. They won't. They will fade into the annals of history at some point and not even be in the minutiae of the footnotes of history books because so much will happen. But God's words are forever. God doesn't have a team of speech writers because he has no need of them. When he speaks, he speaks eternal words of life. His words are so powerful that things come to life when he speaks. The psalmist says in Psalm 33, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made and by the breath of his mouth, all their hosts. His words are so powerful that people and nations are delivered and healed when he speaks. He sent out his word and healed them, Israel, and delivered them from their destruction. God reveals his power and his will through his word. John has pointing us to the word in flesh, but the preacher in Hebrews points us to the fact that God's final word on the matter is Jesus himself. Long ago and at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers through the prophets, but in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son. What a passage. The Bible teaches us that Jesus of Nazareth was so much more than a good man. He was so much more than a good teacher. Most pagan religions acknowledge that. Most false doctrines acknowledge that. We've got to do better. Demons even know that he's God and tremble at his name. So it takes more than the shakes or an intellectual assent to get in and to be following the Lord Jesus Christ. Note, Jesus is the greatest phenomenon to ever cross the horizon of this world. He was God in the flesh. And here he is given the title, The Word. Wow. God sent the Word, a revelation to this earth. He sent a revelation of himself. Here's what Jesus reveals about God. You ready? Jesus reveals God's mind. Have you ever struggled, those of you that are married, to figure out what your spouse is thinking? We don't have to worry about what God is thinking. We get to look at Jesus. Hallelujah. Jesus expresses God's will. Jesus displays God's perfections and Jesus is God's heart for humanity so here we go back to that point we see that God was 
there. He was there. Jesus was there before time began, and he was there with the word. The second point I'd have you to write down as we look at the next verse or two is that he is eternally great. Now, you might see the reference up there and say, we've already covered that. Yeah, I know that, but we're going to work backwards and forwards a little bit. Jesus is eternally great. He's not like anybody else. We've already established this, but if you're taking notes, here's some things I would list under this header. The first thing I would say is he is eternally the pre-existing one. Now, that's a little Bible class talk there. That doesn't just flow off the tongue, but there's really no better way to say it. Before time began, he was there. He has pre-existed. Jesus has always been. He was not created. Jesus was not created. He's a part of the eternally existed Godhead. I'll get to that in a moment. But he has always existed. He decided to come to earth in the lowest form of creation as a baby in a manger. Wow, we just celebrated that, didn't we? Jesus was there. It underscores it again in verse 2. He was in the beginning with God. The second thing I'd have you note is he is eternally in relationship with the Father. You could write down the Father's Son. He's eternally part of the Trinity. He always has been, he is right now, and he always will be. Where do I get that from? Well, the Bible says, and the word was with God, with God. The word was with God. There has always been the deepest equality and intimacy in the Trinity. There's always been the deepest equality and intimacy in the Trinity. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The next thing I think you can note right from this passage here is he is eternally God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus is God. It's a brilliant phrase that John writes here. If you look at it in the language, he's going theos and logos, and logos and theos, and he's moving these little words around in between them. It's, it's gorgeous what he's doing, and he's doing it very much on purpose by inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Jesus was not only with God, he was God. What he does with this phrase is unite Jesus to God. For all those folks that said, Jesus never said he was God. <clears throat> right? But here we go. It unites him as being God, but still maintaining that distinction as God's son. Like, that's as best as I can explain it to you on a Sunday morning. I don't know on Sunday afternoon if I could do any better. But Jesus is eternally God. Lastly, he's eternally the creator. He's eternally the creator. We see this in verse 3. Look at verse 3 with me on the screen. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Now, some of you that studied some of the epistles in the New Testament, that sounds like about 15 other verses, doesn't it? Maybe your mind goes with me to Colossians 1. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. Oh, and just a wink back to John's passage. And he's before all things, and in him all things hold together. That Hebrews passage I mentioned earlier, look at what it says about Jesus being the creator. Through whom also he created the world... And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. A famous verse around here for everybody that went to Max Out Camp last year and those that know this, that we work through the two ways to live gospel presentation comes from Revelation 4.11. 
Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. Why? For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. 1 Corinthians, Paul tells us there's one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. Jesus is eternally the creator. This is not just a man. This is not just somebody calling us to live at peace with our brothers and sisters and love everybody. This is God with flesh on. John introduces Jesus to us in one of the most spectacular ways that I hope rocks your world as you see him in the New Testament. He establishes his Godhead right out of the gate. He establishes his power right out of the gate. And then he moves on to why he is the one qualified for us to believe in. Point three this morning, you ready? He, Jesus, is life and he is light. He's life and he is light. What a powerful declaration. He is light and life. Look at verses four and five. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Why? What's the big deal here? John uses the word life 54 times in his writing. That's significant. In Bible study, they teach you when something's repeated often, it's probably important. Make a note of that. Life. Remember John 3, 16. Famous verse. You shall not perish, but shall have eternal life. There must be something to it there. All life comes from Jesus. We've already established that. But can I talk to you for a moment, just a brief moment, about our spiritual condition? Now, the birds of the air and the beautiful trees. My wife loves trees. In my uh, memory photos that pop up sometimes from some of our travels, we were in Australia together several years ago. She was with me for several days on a ministry uh, trip down there. We had a few days to vacation. We have more pictures of trees than we have of us from Australia. My wife loves trees. Now, there were some beautiful and gnarly-looking trees down there, but man... You would have loved them too, brother. I can tell you, yeah, I can tell. But she loves some trees. And as, as much as trees take our breath away and we think about God creating life and we think about trees and the ocean and, and you pick your favorite animal and then you fill in the blank and I'm so thankful Jesus created whatever, you know, your pet is. A pet lizard or snake or something, whatever it is. I don't know why I picked two reptiles there. Anyway, moving on. Thinking of the peskers, right? No, um... Whatever it is, that's where we go when we think about life. But <clears throat> that's true. But the greater importance of that, Paul would write in Ephesians 2, we are dead in our trespasses and sins. I mean, we look alive. We're walking around and we say things and do things. We eat food. We um, exercise at least for a few more weeks in January, right? And we go to the Y and then that membership just keeps on rolling. Uh, but we look alive, but we're dead dead in our sins if we have think we have any life without Christ so when he talks about being alive Jesus giving life he doesn't just mean a pulse and respiration he's talking about eternal life Dr. Tony Evans has been pastoring a long time and he shared a story not too long ago about an encounter he had with an undertaker uh, I, I won't be terribly morbid with this but to make a point he, he was there and one undertaker took a liking to him and said, you know, Dr. Evans, um, c 
cadavers are really interesting. Well, of course, yes, okay, you've got me. What do you mean by that? He said their fingernails can still grow after they're dead. Their hair can still grow some. And he said, I've even been working on a body in the middle of the night and have seen one blink. To which Dr. Evans said, you know, I couldn't do this job because if I did and one did that, there'd be two cadavers in the room right there. I would boom like that. He says, does that ever bother you? And the undertaker said, nope, absolutely not. He said, how can you say that? And the undertaker responded, because dead is dead. Dead is dead. Listen to me, friend. I don't care how you feel or how on top of life you may seem. If you are living without Jesus Christ as Lord of your life, you are dead in your trespasses and sins. And you will stand before God as judge, not Savior, if you die that way. You will stand before him as judge and give an account. And he'll say, why should I let you into heaven? Something like that. Well, I, 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 I. There's no I, I, I that does anything to impress God. The only thing we Christians have to say that non-Christians do or can't say is when we get into heaven and and, and we're asked, how how would, would we get into heaven? Why should you be allowed into heaven? We'll say, Jesus Christ paid my sin debt on a cross. He paid it all. And my life is hidden in him. Dead is dead is dead. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. John 3, 36, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life. Watch this. For the wrath of God remains on him. Not it's coming to him. You're already under the wrath of God if you're living without Christ. How do you say that? Because you're dead and dead is dead. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Romans 8 said the same spirit that raised Jesus up from the grave can bring us to life out of that dead state. But Jesus said, I'm the life, and then he said, I'm the light as well. Life and light. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness And the darkness has not overcome it. Go back with me for just a moment to creation. Day one, what did God speak into existence on day one? Now, if you're from the south, you say it lot, but it rhymes with that, right? You can say light or lot. I'll take either. Let's see if we can say it on three. On day one, we'll rewind the tape. We'll edit all this so it looks like y'all answered me in real time. Okay, here we go. I'll take a break. Here we go. On day one, what did God speak into existence in creation? Light. You see what John's doing here? Isn't this amazing how it all ties together? Look at the scripture. And God said, let there be light, and there was light, and God saw the light was good, and God separated the light from darkness. John emphasizes that Jesus is the light of the whole world. Light is distinct from darkness. You never mistake the two. You don't look at darkness and say, look at that beautiful light. You don't look at light and say, oh, it's so dark in here. You may say, oh, that light should be brighter, but you don't say, I can't see anything. Well, if you're prone to exaggeration and hyperbole, maybe you do, but if there's light on, you can see something. Light and darkness never get confused. Light is distinct from darkness. God did that. Christianity is distinct from all all other religions. God did that. Jesus is distinct from all other men. God did that. Truly God and truly man. Light matters. When Mahatma Gandhi was nearing the end of his life, 
You can back up about 15 years and see his writings with what he believes was clarity. In fact, 15 years before he died, he wrote, I must tell you in all humility that Hinduism, as I know it, entirely satisfies my soul and fills my whole being. But the week that he died, just before his death, he wrote, my days are numbered. I'm not likely to live very long, perhaps a year or a little more. For the first time in 50 years, I find myself in the Slav despond. All about me is darkness. I am praying for light. One of the most enlightened people that non-Christians would look to for wisdom said he had no light apart from Christ. The light of Christ has shone brightly since before time began and it will light the way for all eternity. If you are groping about in the darkness this morning, may I introduce you to Jesus. If you are struggling to find identity and reason for life itself, may I introduce you to Jesus. He is eternally great. He has always been and he is here. Hallelujah. He lives on the pages of scriptures. He lives by the work of the Holy Spirit. He lives seated on the right hand of God at the throne of heaven. He has always been and he will always be the only word that brings life and light. As Julia's coming to the instrument this morning and we're just about ready to have a moment of reflection to pray, let me give you the final point this morning. It's just an observation because it's there. All these things that Christ is, he's the light, he's the life, he's the word, he all these things, they cannot be overcome. Your final point this morning, he is triumphant. Verse five, introducing Jesus, the triumphant one. Where do you get that from, pastor? Oh, just the last part of verse five where it says the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Keep your eyes on Jesus no matter how dark it seems. Keep your eyes on Jesus no matter how dark it seems feels dear brother dear sister as a songwriter said years ago there's not enough darkness to put out the light he can't be extinguished by man's sinful lies no earthly shadow can cover God's son there's not enough power it cannot be done he will go on and on and on in fact John caught a vision at the end of time and in Revelation 21, he says, I saw no temple there in the holy city, for its temple was the Lord God and the Almighty and the Lamb. Verse 23, the city had no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light. And its lamp is the Lamb, another title given to our King, Jesus. The next chapter, he said, night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun for the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever and ever. Hear me, I don't care what the news feed says. I don't care how things fall apart and crumble around you. There will not be enough darkness to overcome our king. You and I may go through it. I don't know what 2023 will hold. I don't know what tomorrow holds, but I know who holds tomorrow. And he's eternally great. And he's the Christ, the anointed one, 
And he's awesome, he's life, he's light, he's creator, he's the word, he's the victor, he's God, the son, Jesus. Why on earth would you reject so great a savior? Because these things were written so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name believe. Let's pray. Father, we believe that Jesus is the promised one. We believe that Jesus is drawing people here this morning, on site and online, to himself. I pray that men and women and boys and girls would leave the way of death and destruction and come to life and light that never fails in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray that whether it's now or later today or sometime this week, as your Holy Spirit prompts them, Lord, that they would cry out to you, God, save me. I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. Grant it, Lord. Bring life and light to our homes, to our church, to our community, to this nation, to the world, as your church gets on the business of making disciples. In Jesus' name. Amen.